Hello, all, and welcome to another edition of A Positive Podcast. The feedback to this podcast has been great. It's very humbling to see how many people are finding comfort and truth and paths forward in life just from listening and learning from the different topics that we're discussing here on this podcast. As I mentioned in my last podcast, I get many suggestions for ideas on topics to discuss and on people who I should interview and suggestions, and which I truly appreciate. So keep those coming. And I was so happy when Bashi reached out to me and told me she wanted to share her story with all of us so that we can be educated and learn from her story, her experiences. And when I got on the phone with Bashi, I got a sense that her story will help uplift and educate us on a topic that many people struggle with. So before we get into this episode, I wanna share with you all that, like I mentioned before, we've begun a new initiative here with regard to sponsorship to the podcast. And I'm opening up the podcast to sponsorships. So if you're interested in being a sponsor for any upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me through my website, apositivecoach.com, or you can email me at Rizal at jewishpeabody.com. And in addition, I wanted to share with you all that if you're interested in finding out more about positive psychology-based life coaching is something that I offer. And you can reach out to me through my website for a free consultation session. And, or you can reach me at email at raisel.jewishpeabody.com. So today's podcast is sponsored anonymously in honor of the Kinnas HaShluchim and in honor of the Shluchim who dedicate their lives to helping others each and every day. Welcome, Bashi. It's so wonderful to have you here. It's such an honor to be sitting here and interviewing you. Before we get into our podcast interview here, I just want to say, Bashi, thank you. Thank you for your willingness to come on here, your bravery, your vulnerability, your honesty, because I know that you will be helping countless people by sharing your story. So Bashi, tell us a little bit about just who you are, where you live. Just give us a brief background before we start. Sure. So uh, my name is Bashin Karsik, and I currently live in Montreal, Canada. I have, I've thank God, seven children, Baruch Hashem, and I grew up in Montreal, um, moved away when I got married, lived in Brooklyn and then Florida. I was on Shluchas for three years there, and then my husband and I moved back to Montreal with three children, and Baruch Hashem, many more came. Um, which a lot of them are miracles, um, which I'll share in my story. So I'm currently graduating with a bachelor's in education and I'm teaching in the local high school in Base Success. So my story started, I wanna say it really started like in seventh grade when I started hitting puberty, hormones, emotions. Um, up until then, I, Baruch Hashem was raised like in a very loving home with lots of siblings. I actually grew up also with a twin sister um, and I, I want to say like until seventh grade, my social life, my academic, my, my everyday life was, um, fine. Like it was, um, smooth until I hit teens, like right away when I hit seventh grade, um, life started getting a little bit more complicated and I, I, I had no idea what was happening to myself. But I wasn't like that happy-go-lucky kid who just made friends with everyone and, um, you know, skipped through life. It's, it got to um, 
the the hardest year that I want to say in high school, um, when I really started having emotional difficulties, was in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I went through a lot. Um, I always felt different then, like even when I hung out with friends and um, even when I tagged along with groups of friends or in any social setting, I was living in my head. I wasn't present. I wasn't enjoying myself, but I put on an amazing mask. Like I know now in COVID, everyone's wearing masks, but I I was doing it way back then without the actual mask. Mm -hmm. But I really, I masked my feelings and I hid them really well. Um, I even have like girls in my class now who I meet up with, you know, as, as um, older, like us as moms, and they, they have no idea what I was actually going through, even though we went through school together. So it really started in, yeah, it really started in ninth grade. It was um, my, so I, I started feeling socially anxious. I started having social anxiety by gatherings with friends. Um, I started, I, I was, I felt depressed. And I was really going through like living day by day without having any idea what was going on inside me, like why things had just like started turning upside down. Um, I, I hid it from everyone. Even when I look back at, at my high school years, I had, I had no one to talk to, no one. Like no one was saying the word depression, no one used the word anxiety. It's, a, it's normal, even the word hormones, emotions, none of that. So I kind of, um, I kind of realized that it was something that I needed to keep hidden because if no one's talking about it, then there's something wrong about wrong with it. So don't bring it up. Um, I, I want to say my best friend was my like diary, my journal. I learned how to journal, but it really didn't help me because I would start writing and then I, I sometimes I wouldn't stop writing. I had so much to say. I had so much confusion inside me, but the, the problem was I had nobody to show it to. So mm. I was still going through it alone. Let me and interrupt I think you for like, one second. You said you were a twin. Uh, were you identical twin, a fraternal twin, if you don't mind me asking? I'm fraternal. Curious. Okay. And your twin sister you didn't share with? You weren't comfortable to share that? I, you know what? She um, knew all along what, like she, like we were super close and, you know, um, and she knew I was going through a lot, but I mean, we were both going through high school together. Mm-hmm. So she really was, she really was there for me in the best way possible. Um, but I, I, you know, the fact that it was like a more of a clinical depression, which I wasn't diagnosed with yet. And the fact that my social anxiety and anxiety in general was not something that anyone could help me with. Right. Um, yeah. So let me I just was, ask was, you one more question. Were you able to actually um, push through the social anxiety and actually attend the social events or did you retreat into yourself and stay in your room and not go out and not, or were you, you said you were masking and making, and nobody could tell. I'm just curious about that piece. So the fact that Hashem gave me a twin sister really, really helps me through my years because um, she was sociable and she would go out and I would go out with her, but I would kind of like retreat. Either I would do it like physically, like I would kind of go into a corner and just read or do something different because I couldn't handle the social pressure um or I would do it like do the motions as a friend like kind of act as if but my insides were being torn apart like I was so so anxious but in but the answer is yes I would get to social gatherings okay yeah that's fascinating 
Um, another thing that I struggled with in, in ninth grade, I just want to add, was eat, an eating disorder. So I developed practically anorexia. Um, my mother, Allah Shalom, she just passed away recently. She was like, she helped me through it so that I didn't end up in the hospital. She wow. intervened right on time. But as an adult, I've learned that anorexia actually comes from depression and anxiety. Like it usually starts then. So that was something else I was- you Mind me asking how she was able to help you? I'm curious about that. Um, she just, she just saw, like I had been away for the summer, so she didn't realize how bad it had gotten. Um, but by then I was really starving myself. So when I came back home, and she saw like how little I was eating, she just nipped it in the bud. Like she just said, you know, you, you have to stop. Like you can't, um, you can't continue going like this. Um, I wanna add that I, I actually, I don't know if it's something that, but I, I lost my period for a year. So that was like, for me, I, I knew I really wanted to have kids. And I think that was my biggest, um, my biggest motivation to start eating properly. So, I, or just my body wasn't functioning properly. And I really wanted to get married one day, have a family. So when she intervened, it was the perfect timing. Like I was, I was willing to get better. Open to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that my, un yeah, the underlying theme of my whole high school seminary um, life was loneliness, isolation, um, constantly. So again, like, even though I was surrounded by friends, I had a twin sister who was very full of life. She was, you know, an amazing companion. I mean, an amazing sister. I constantly felt alone. I constantly felt different. Um, I constantly felt like I had to hide the real me from everyone out there because I just, I wasn't functioning the way everyone was functioning. And because no one used the words that I was going through, I had to keep it a secret. Um, I did from time to time open up to my mother, like she was a huge anchor in my life. Um, and the, she, she intervened many times. Um, another time when she intervened was when I reached seminary age. So I went through, I went through the system, I graduated, I, I, I'm in seminary. And I experienced a generalized anxiety attack from what I understand after I went through it, but I didn't get it then. So um, my twin sister had gone away for seminary. And when she came back, um, I retreated back into my, I, I went through like a, like a, um, I went through such a, uh, I want to say like an identity crisis in a way when my twin sister left, it was the first year we had been apart from each other. And then my anxiety got so strong, like it, peaked when she came back from seminary and we were both in seminary we went away together and I was all the way in England and I went through a full-blown anxiety attack for the first time in my life and it was really like I couldn't function I couldn't get up I couldn't I was a counselor in camp I couldn't even like um I couldn't even talk properly it was really really scary for me I've never been through it in my life it was that first time and I was so far away so again, my mother intervened again, like she, she didn't have the money borrowed and flew to England to bring me home. And she's one of the, one of like the figures in my life that I learned so much from because I learned from her never to give up, never to give up. Like there's always a solution and just to keep trying and trying. 
and I and even though I was not functional I was like I couldn't even go to seminary I was enrolled in seminary I couldn't get there I remember walking down the block to get to seminary and kind of like that first day like the apple in the hand and the notebook and I stopped and I got into the building I went on the back steps to come down to the to the, the basement where everyone was sitting and I couldn't do it I stood there and saw all these girls on the other side of the door and my anxiety was just so 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 strong that I turned around and went home and then I couldn't get to seminary mm. so I missed it the first few months um and those months I saw my mother turn over every single stone to help me. She brought me to this, to this doctor, to this, you know, she believed a lot in alternative medicine and, and natural means. So she tried everything. And eventually I ended up in a psychiatrist's office. And I, the memory that I have of the psychiatrist's office is going in there with soft music in the waiting room. And all I thought was, nobody has ever been through this I can't the believe only one. I'm the only one in the whole world and I, I can't believe I'm doing this to my family like I, I didn't have any control I saw how much I was putting them through and I couldn't stop it I couldn't help them um and I that guilt and shame must have been so heavy oh yeah carry at the age that you were what age how old were you at this point so by then I was like uh, by then I was seven, um, 18. This must have been so hard. Yeah. So I, I, it was, you know, kind of like the black sheep of the family. That's what I felt like. Like I didn't, I couldn't get it right. The, you know, however much I tried, I also was really good. I became a really good perfectionist. I remember even from first grade, like, you know, I'm going to just be perfect and not make trouble for anyone and not get in anyone's way. And here, you know, before I know it, I'm causing mayhem in my whole family and I'm hurting everyone. And there, there was no Let way- Let me just interrupt for a second. As a little child, younger, growing up, you behaved well. You didn't give behavior issues. You were, you were doing, like you said, you were not the black sheep. You were, you were a good girl, or like as we like to say, you behaved. You yeah. didn't give anyone trouble. Yeah, 100%. I was like- You the... were not the one that your mother would have thought that was going to be- the person that would call her from seminary having a panic attack. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like, it was like imploding. The, as, there was so much going on inside, but you know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't let it out. I was mm -hmm. the perfect, you know, daughter trying to just make everybody happy. And then before I knew it, I'm, I'm causing this to happen to everyone. And, mm -hmm. and again, again, it was, it was that isolation and loneliness. And it also was complemented with, um, I just had a word like it was, um, yeah, I, I, it, but I'll, okay. it'll come back to me. Yeah. So, you know, it's what's coming up for me as you're speaking. I'm just thinking about how like so many of us parents are always about like, you know, the, you know, the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the oil, right? We're always like, oh, this child, you know, they're giving us behavioral issues that there must be more going on. And that could be, that's true. At the same time, we have to be cognizant of the idea that all of our children can have stuff going on and it, it could be expressed in so many different ways. You could have a child who's a perfectionist, who's helpful, who's there, who's seems to be just got everything together. But underneath that, they could be just holding all this inside. So it's important to have that awareness as well. Just something that I'm thinking about as a mom yeah. and, and as, as my listeners are, are listening in, just something to keep in mind. Okay. Go, sorry to interrupt. Go yeah. on. No. And I, I want to add also as a parent myself, like as my kids were, are growing up, 
the ones, like I actually heard once a, a great talk by someone who had been through foster care and had been through so much. And he said, kids that are not speaking out are acting out. And that's what I think as a mother, like when the ones that are expressing and they are, you know, we know what's going on, like the ones that are quiet and just kind of like getting by, those are the ones that I'm more worried about, you know, like so interesting. And we so don't think that like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, those kids, thank God they just go to sleep the way you got to do their homework. The truth is, is like, you know, I'm not trying to put more pressure on us, but it's just I'm trying to create this awareness that it's not always the way we see it to be you know, like it doesn't, it's not what's, you know, what appears is not what always is, is actually happening, but go yeah. on with your story. So you were in the okay, psych- so psychiatrist's I'm, office. So I'm in the psychiatrist's office. I, I, I've never heard of the word psychiatrist. I haven't heard of any of this, right. Cause no one talks about mental or emotional health. So mm-hmm. I'm in seminary, but I'm not in seminary cause I can't get to seminary. So I'm in a psychiatrist's office and sure enough, he prescribes medication. Um, I, was brought up in a very like organic holistic environment my mom was a midwife and she so I I couldn't believe that I was being put on medication but you know again I trusted my mother and she um dedicated so much time to get me there so I start my meds and they were antidepressants that worked and I was able to come out of that state and then I was able to share with my mother just start talking and that helped me um, and then I'm, I get back to seminary and then sure enough, I'm weaning off the medication slowly, but I'm also ready for marriage. So I did not play the cards well. Like I didn't ask permission before and make sure that I was doing it properly. Um, what I did do was when my husband and I were dating and I was weaning off my medication, all I thought was, okay, I cannot marry a guy and hide meds from him. Like, you know, nobody talks about this. So I I didn't talk about it with him. But then I saw he was getting serious. And I'm thinking, I need to tell this guy who he's marrying. So sure enough, um, I did. I, I, you know, on our date, I said, look, I got it. I got to tell you something. So I really told him everything. I just opened up. I said, this is who I am. This is what I've been through. And he, Baruch Hashem, was still, you know, willing to marry me. And he was ready. Says a lot about who he is as a person. Yeah. You made the, made the right choice there. I got very lucky. And his response was, you know, you are who you are today because of what you've been through. And that was very heartwarming for me because I realized how much he was accepting me and my struggles. So I got married. And I think like, um, again, I want to I want to say that I was doing everything right. Like I was, you know, I I went through school, I went to seminary, now I'm getting married. And it was it was just like, nobody talks about any of the struggles. Well, not nobody, but then nobody was talking about struggles. I wasn't hearing it. So I, so again, I get married and I get, and I'm in shlichos and I'm having babies and I, and I feel like a failure. Um, but I, uh, all that time, I was again, masking everything that was going on inside me. Cause I didn't understand postpartum. Um, all these words weren't, weren't in my dictionary and they weren't in other people's who I was around. So after baby number four, we had actually moved back to Montreal. Um, and I want to say like, even also, I want to add that there was always, I always thought like the next happy, the next happy event in my life will make me better. I kept thinking mm-hmm. that like the next thing. So getting married will fix everything. And then it didn't. And then having the babies, like finally I'll have my own babies. It didn't being on Schlichus, I, you know, whatever I had in my life externally did not fix me inside. 
So wow. I was constantly sad, even though, again, I put on a good mask. I, we ran a friendship circle. I was a preschool teacher. I just, I kept going with the motions of life, but without feeling happy. Right. And um, so, you know, so many of will, I think that our brain is constantly looking for newness. That's what our brain is wired to look for the exciting, shiny new thing. Um, so we think that it's going to make us happy when truth is happiness is something that's internal, not external, or not even an event, but it's rather a state of mind, a state of being. Um, yes. I'm curious about a piece that you mentioned with regard to your shluchas, um, leaving your shluchas. What was that like? So it was how I look at it. It was that we Hashem wanted us to be there for those three years and getting that experience. Um, and then it was just time for us to move closer to family. It was also Parnassa. Okay. Um, yeah, like we, we were not, um, we were not going to go around and like, I don't know, just my husband and I didn't work like to fundraise. So, and Baruch Hashem, we had three kids already. So it was just time to move on. That's, I, I'm just, I'm celebrating that because I feel like that's such an important piece. You know, so many of us go on shluchas, I'm a shlucha myself. So I say this with, you know, when things aren't working or things are not matching up, we think we're supposed to just push through it. Like this whole idea that, oh no, no, this is like for life. You have to do this. Right. And even though there's truth to that, there's an element that, that we talk about within, within going on shluchas, but it's so important for people to step back and say, this isn't working. This is working. We can, we can always go back to the drawing board and kind of fix this and that's okay uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm impressed with the ability that you and your husband were able to realize that and you know move forward and yeah take the next step so that's so a, I want to say that's we a beautiful tried, thing. yeah and we did try everything like we didn't just give up right away like it was really like moving on shlichos till Mashiach comes like the, you know yeah. but it did come to a point where um we had come like to visit the IL and then we were with family and it was just so clear to us like Hashem just sent the right you know messengers right. at the right time yeah so it was time to move on wow. um and ever since then you know we've been living here within a firm community but always trying to remember that we're on shlichas yeah wherever we are wherever we are that's exactly that's it. it yeah that, that the was very out. clear about that yeah, yeah. so yeah. we moved back to Montreal and I my be after baby number four I experienced a, a big postpartum depression. Again, I had no idea that I was in, having a postpartum depression, but how it manifested itself was that I wasn't sleeping and I wasn't eating well. Um, I had no idea about self-care then. Um, I just knew that I needed to be an Aisha's Chayel and, you know, and an Aisha's Chayel for me as a perfectionist was keep it together always so that your family doesn't fall apart because if you fall apart your family is going to fall apart that was my definition of Aisha's Chayel very very stressful so I always had to keep it together so again I'm so everything that I'm feeling is always suppressed is always underneath and then I have a baby number four Baruch Hashem I had four babies then my eldest was four and wow. I crashed I crashed I I was trying to keep going and I felt my insides falling apart and I couldn't keep it up. Like I was trying to put on this pretense of like a perfect life and a perfect mother and a perfect, perfect, perfect. And I couldn't keep it together. And I crashed. I, I actually went into a state of mania um, and going into a state of mania for, for me, at least, I know everybody has different experiences, but for me, it's very traumatic because I'm usually a very calm um, person. Um, 
I'm private also. Like I'm not, you know, like I'm revealing every, I don't know. I just, when I go into a state of mania, it's a trauma on my body. Sure. And I think it is for also, everybody. I think yeah, it's for the brain. It's a trauma for the brain. Yeah. Because it's no way state of mania. Um, I'm learning. It's not very different than a psychosis experience. Right. Um, it's just different verbiage for it. Um, they used to call it a breakdown, a nervous break, you know, different terms and whatever term they had knowledge for it. How did it play out in your life? How did you right. know that so you in, were in a state of mania? Right. I did want to add, by the way, that it's a trauma for my family too. For my oh, family, of course. For everyone involved. Yeah. Um, how it played out was that I was, I was on like an overdrive, like not sleeping, not eating and I wasn't being rational like like I usually am I'm not like an impulsive person I was very impulsive in that state um just like not not safe I wasn't being safe like not okay. like Baruch Hashem, I haven't struggled with like suicidal you know but but still it's 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 it's, it's dangerous in the state of yeah. India yeah I wasn't necessarily so, safe was your so husband I, noticing all of this and I'm curious about that piece and I'll tell you why I feel that, yeah. you know, a lot of this, I, we discussed this with Sarah Marezov in our podcast about, you know, the idea of having a large family and having babies and knowing the Rebbe Kachsen is and how important it is for us. And what I was saying is that sometimes it creates a stress that we want to do it. We have to do it. We have to do it without yeah. realizing, okay, well, let's step back and say, okay, where am I at? Where am I emotionally? I struggled last time I had a baby. I have three other babies. Maybe I should speak to a rub right now. Yeah. Um, that awareness, that education piece is something that I feel is lacking. And it's something that if we could have our, our Kala teachers and our, and our Hassan teachers be teaching this as an awareness to look out for it could be something right. that could be extremely helpful as well. So I'm curious where your husband was with all this. So he was, um, he was getting support like to, but not enough to, to, um, to help me um, heal from that state. Like there was nothing he could do is what I'm trying sure. to say. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've learned, like, I'll, I'll explain how I got into the 12 steps, but I've learned the word powerless. Yep. And in that case, it was, ex we were extremely powerless over what was happening to us. We had a, Baruch Hashem, have a beautiful marriage. And it was just, it, it's just like in a state of mania, there's no rationalization. There's, I just Nothing. become someone else. I want to say it that way. And so it was very painful for him. Um, also, we had four little children, so he kind of had to, you know, keep the, the home running. I ended up in the hospital. Um, sure. I actually ended up in the hospital because I admitted myself so that I can prove to everyone that I was fine. That's a state of mania. I, I wasn't, I didn't believe that I was, you know, then. That's how prolonged, that's how far along your mania was, is that you weren't even aware of it. There are people, and I'm curious if we'll talk about your next steps in life is like, as people have experienced it before, they now know the signs of it more likely, they're more likely to go ahead and, and um, get the help that they need yeah. because, but that's a, that's a sign that, yeah. Okay. So you went to the hospital. I'm in the hospital and my baby was very young. My mother took her in. So again, my mother stepped in as always. And um, she took care of my baby for a good, I want to say like three months, two or three months. And that was extremely hard for me because I was, I had been nursing and formula and it was, it was really, really, really tough. It was again, a very traumatic experience for me to be in the hospital and, and for your baby as well. Yep. And for my baby too. And for my other children. And I thank God, I knew Baruch Hashem of two women who had been through emotional meltdowns and they were 
in touch with me. And that really, really, really gave me so much hope through the experience because again, I was convinced that I was the only from woman in the whole wide world sure. who, 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 who didn't get it right. I tried, I went through seminary, did shlichos, had children, you know, and I, and I couldn't get it right. And that was like a constant feeling of being a failure. Um, I was constantly failing everyone. And I know I didn't, I never, I didn't have the word powerless in my dictionary. It was like, you know, again, keep it together and look at that. I couldn't be an Asian file. My whole family fell apart. So there was a lot of feelings of failure. Um, again, isolation, because the women, you know, I had one woman that I knew that I was in touch with, but the other woman lived away. So I came out of the hospital very broken. Um, I, I was there for at least four weeks, if not six weeks, came out right before Rosh Hashanah. Um, I actually had a heter from a Rav that I can speak to a friend if I needed to on Rosh Hashanah, which goes to show how, you know, broken I was. And I, I um, went back into the motion of, you know, everyday life, putting on the shaitel, putting on the lipstick, dropping my kids off and going home and falling apart because I couldn't share it with anyone. So I was, I was like, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that constant. This is a thread I'm seeing through the story is that you felt like this at high school and in even elementary before seventh grade, just different than everyone else alone. And the only person that's experiencing this and that loneliness is so, so debilitating. Yeah. You know, loneliness is the cause, the root of so much in our lives. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's a killer. It's, it's really it like, really is. Yeah. And self-esteem, self-confidence, like it's all out the window when it's right. Sure. When you're alone, you can't, you can't unload it. The biggest part of it is to, to take what we're feeling and to share it. It's like, yeah. we don't ask you to hold it for us. I don't need to take it from me, but just let me unload it and talk about it and talk it out. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So I just cried every day, fell apart. And I just said, Hashem, you got to help me. Like, I have no idea what to do next. And then he did. I, I chanced upon on Chabad.org, a 12 step group called Emotions Anonymous. And I was familiar with the 12 steps. So I'm thinking, hey, this sounds really interesting. So I- How are you familiar familiar with the 12 steps? So I had like heard about the 12 steps and knew about, you know, like the- Recovery world. Yeah. And I click on the link and it goes to a website where it asks all these questions. Like, do you ever feel depressed? Do you ever feel different? Do you ever feel low? And I'm just like, check, check, check wow, like, you know, I need more of this. So the only meeting that they had was downstairs from a church in a basement, a French speaking meeting. So I speak French. I I grew up in a French school and I went to that meeting. I went there once. I never went back, but what made the biggest impression on me was walking in there. There was a grown man just crying, sharing his story in front of a whole bunch of people. And I'm thinking, wow, like emotions, like they're, they're actually showing, you know, cause I didn't see any of this. Not that I never saw someone cry, but I didn't see, I, didn't, I never heard the, these real, you know, struggles. Yeah. So I was sold and I felt like I finally, you know, came home. And because there were no meetings in Montreal, I joined a virtual meeting. And every single Monday night, I closed the door of my room and I went to a meeting. I didn't even see anyone on the meeting. It was actually on Skype. And eventually I got a sponsor online and I, I, I just started working the steps because I felt like I, I, I was very motivated and I'll tell you why, because I didn't, I never wanted to go back to the hospital. 
I never wanted to put my family through what they've been through. So I was very, very motivated to be, to get emotionally well. And I found out, you know, that the only one that can restore me to sanity is my higher power for me, Hashem. Yeah. And so I, I actually got a lot closer to him through working the 12 step, um, the 12 steps. And I discovered a loving higher power. And, you know, I, he's the only one that got me out of the hospital. He put me in there. He got me out. So I was, and I want to say also that for the first time in my life, I started developing a relationship with Hashem because I got really mad at him when I was in the hospital and I cursed him. And I thought like a fire will come out of heaven and, you know, I, I'm very visual and it didn't. And I, and the moment I got mad at him because I was such a like good girl and wanted to do everything right. The moment I just broke that like perfect relationship I was trying to be in with him, I started getting into a relationship with him and started really talking to him all the time and seeing how much he helped me get out. So fast forward. Um, so I was on medication then, and then I weaned off and fast forward my baby who had been separate who had been with my mother is now two years old three years old and I'm thinking okay I can have another one and every time I thought of having another one I got so anxious and my sponsor when Hashem sent the right messengers to let me know that I wasn't ready but but again that feeling of failure came up because I just want to have another baby after two years right like that's what we do let's talk about that for a minute Let's, yeah. I just because I, I feel like that's such an a piece. Yeah. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. What, what like was that expectation. like? So it was that expectation, right? That I, after two years as a from woman, and Baruch Hashem, I didn't have any physical reasons why I can't have a baby. I'm supposed to be having another one, and nobody even said it to me explicitly, but. I felt that expectation. I felt that judgment, you know, even though nobody was judging me. And like I've learned in therapy, I ended up judging myself, but I kind of like projected onto others. I felt so, um, I felt, I felt very stressed. Like I needed to find, have this baby. And was it judgment? I'm just curious. Was it, I know you're saying it's ourselves and it's true, but I'm trying to understand. Do you think that society, our circles, our, our, belief system our our narratives that we tell ourselves the stories that we tell ourselves this is what you do right puts a pressure also I'm just curious if you felt if you felt that as well I mean you could be yes it could be our own thing I want to be normal like everyone else that that's a piece of it I want to be in any circle you'll have that but I, I feel like we have to be so cognizant of this fact that it's not for everyone we yeah. have to check our own mental health and somebody like you who had experienced what you you went through still felt the need so strongly I'm just curious about all of that right like, so what I role as a community we could be playing in that 100 so I think it's I think it goes back to that it's not being spoken about enough you know there's not enough women like even for me to have the courage to share my story you know like having gone through what I've been through and I just went through even more and I have my support group where I can talk about it, but here it's like just being open and talking, you know, as another woman, um, been through, who's been through the system and I'm trying to make us make us, you know, just, I'm trying to do it right. And my emotional health is holding me back from having a baby. And that was extremely difficult for me to accept because I could accept if my physical health, you know, but I knew that I wasn't ready 
when all that anxiety would come up, my husband and I were both not ready. And I experienced a lot, a lot of grief. And I, I just remember crying. I remember looking out my window, watching, you know, from families walk by to shul. All the kids every year or every second year, another kid is joins a family and I couldn't do it. And I remember at that point, it wasn't that much of a feeling of failure because I was in the 12 steps and I was starting to embrace my emotions and starting to accept who I was. But it was more like just this grief. Like, I wish I could have a big family and I've always wanted a big family. But I had to like get to a place of acceptance where maybe Hashem just wants me to have four. And that's a lot of children, Baruch Hashem. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and like at that point, I understood more about self-care. I learned, you know, Aisha Chayel doesn't mean run yourself to the ground. It means take really good care of yourself. And, you know, someone said to me once, put the, on the plane, we put the oxygen mask on ourselves before the children. So yeah. it means take good care of myself so I can be there for my family. Right. So I had all those tools a lot more than I had before, but at the same time, I couldn't run away from the grief. And it was, it was very, very difficult. And it wasn't like something I could speak about. So again, that's like, I keep saying that because I, I did have an emotional support group, but my sponsor wasn't Jewish. This, the support group I was in wasn't Jewish. So I'm still isolating. I'm still lonely. Wow. I'm still the so only one in my community. Sharing. You're sharing, but in the community level, in the community, there's... it's so lonely. Yeah. And, and with this, other is part from... with, this is the part I'm thinking about at the 12 steps in recovery is that's why it's so important to be able to have those within our communities Yeah. because we need to remove that loneliness, that isolation piece. So even though you were experiencing, you were sharing and unloading, but there was to a point and that loneliness yeah. was still there. Yeah. And I actually heard in the 12 steps that share is one letter off from shame. So the moment I'm able to share with someone safe and someone supportive, the shame just melts away because shame is when I'm holding it inside. If anyone knew of this, you know, what, what would they think of me? Yeah. So that was really powerful when I heard that. That So then again, Hashem stepped in to, you know, help me to support me. And I had, there was one woman in my community who had posted something on a social media group with the word depression. She had actually written about postpartum depression. She took the, she had the courage. And just seeing the word depression, I just, it was, it was like such a relief for me. And I had the courage to pick up the phone and I called her up and I said, I've struggled with depression. And it was finally, there was, it was one person in my, in my community who I was connecting with. And it was so Bashar because I wanted to open a 12 step meeting. She had women that she knew were struggling and we, it was like a shidduch. We opened up a 12 step women's only emotional support group in Montreal. Baruch Hashem, it's still going strong. We just reopened in person. And I want to like, have like an applause playing. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just wow. It was, it was amazing. And I finally started getting like that support from other women. Like there were from women that I was sharing my journey with. And that really, really gave me like a, like a step up. Like I was, that gave me the courage to start sharing a little bit. Like when I was, um, when I was subbing in high school and I couldn't make it some days, I finally had the courage to tell the vice principal, you know, I have anxiety. I could never say that word. Like that was huge. And I said, you know, I have anxiety. So it's hard for me, you know, and, and just slowly being able to open up. And I had women that were calling me who were joining the group. And so I'm talking now to from women. It was life-changing. It really, really helped me. 
So and it's like number step number, I forget which not nine is it? Then when you start to give back, like, so this was in your own recovery. I forget which step. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm not saying I right. think it's 12, 11 or 12. Okay, 12. I'm not, yeah. I'm, not I'm still doing my own work. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking like, that's really like the point of, of real healing, because when you're able to do it for somebody else, that's like where you're able to give back and yes. it fills you and in a way that's really healing. Yes. So there you were, you were able to shed a lot of the loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. And meeting women from all different communities. It was like, it was such an amazing support for me. Um, Baruch Hashem, I was able also, Hashem sent the right messengers at the right time, you know, to let me know, like, I I kept thinking, how am I going to know when I'm ready to have another baby? Am I ever going to be ready? And then I did, Baruch Hashem, I was able to bring three more neshamas into the world, um, my husband and I. And Baruch Hashem, like beautiful births. And I, I, I had developed a lot of self-care. So I knew that after a baby, I need my sleep because a sleep is a big trigger for me, especially with my emotional weakness. So I would, you know, got help and slept and Baruch Hashem had, had good recoveries until, until a month, a few months ago, um, I got pregnant with Baruch Hashem. I've had two, two COVID babies. And wow. six months ago, I had a beautiful baby girl and my mother was diagnosed um, with cancer, um, but it was pancreatic, very, a very, um, um, she was in a, like, it was very advanced stage. Yeah. And I started, I, I couldn't, my, we lived very, we lived very close to them. So we were taking care of my mother nonstop and I had a baby. And, and, and I was still in school. There were many, many stressors on my plate and I was not sleeping either. Um, When my mother was like in palliative care, I would be by her side two o'clock in the morning for a few days before she passed. So that ingredient of no sleep is, is very, very detrimental for me, for my emotional health. Um, And I just, without even being able to catch it on time, I started going downhill um, especially after my mother passed, we were very close and I went into a state of mania again. Mm-hmm. And again, and, and when I'm in the state of mania, I wasn't so like, I wasn't, uh, I didn't realize how, how I was. Cause at that point it's that definition of powerless. Like I can't mm-hmm. stop it from happening. And I, and we went through another experience as a family with me being hospitalized. Um, and me not being there for my kids. Um, again, my baby was super young, but Baruch Hashem, this time, the like Hashem was so good to us that the hospital made an exception because of COVID. They're very strict here in Montreal, but they let me have contact with one of my babies every single day because I wasn't managing without them, especially postpartum. So it was a full-blown postpartum depression again with a state of mania. And they diagnosed me with bipolar. The last time I, I came out of the hospital, which was about eight years ago, I did not accept my diagnosis. I was, these eight years, I've been like on this mission of like, I am not defined by my label. I won't let that stop me. I'm going to prove that I can have more children and that I can live a, a functional life. And Baruch Hashem, I've, I've you know, I, th- that got me through the past eight years. But this time, this hospitalization, I was hospitalized for three weeks it really changed me and my family. And I came out with a lot more acceptance 
of my diagnosis, which makes a huge difference because fighting takes so much time and effort and kind of having to prove myself is very tiring. And when I'm at this stage of acceptance, it just is like, there's, I can, I can put my energies into so many other places, especially in such a positive way, because it just is. And I have even shared with my older children that I have, the doctors told me I have bipolar because they visited me in the hospital and they visited me in the psych ward. And I told them, the doctor said I have bipolar. It's something Hashem gave me. I didn't want to accept it last time I was in the hospital when you were little, but now I do. And everybody has weaknesses and strengths. And ever since I've come out of the hospital this time, I've realized that I don't need to just walk around showing all my strengths and my lipstick and I have everything put together. And I really started becoming authentic with people, people in my community who have no idea what I struggle with. And the responses that I get are so supportive. And I share about I'm bipolar or I've been through this and they're so supportive and I'm realizing why am I hiding this and it got to a point where my daughter had a birthday the other week and a someone a a mom came in and she asked me how are you doing I said I'm doing better but after my mom passed my bipolar flared up and I was in the hospital and my husband laughed and he said you know it sounds like you're talking about your allergies like my allergies flared up but I I've started sharing and I'm realizing it's not that scary even though it was one of the biggest fears Wow. <laughs> Your allergies, because bipolar and allergies need to be looked at the same way. I mean, allergies are not that big of a deal. Bipolar is probably bigger than allergies. Yes. Oh, yeah. But we need to, we need to start looking at it as something as similar as diabetes or a heart defect or any of those things. Yeah. And it's incredible when you're able to share it literally removes. Now it doesn't mean you have to go around with a billboard um, obviously, but when you share it, um, it just half of the pain is it, first of all, it normalizes it Yeah. for other people that are fighting their diagnosis that are other people that are fighting it, it helps others. So that's so important. Yeah. And I actually watching my mother, like, you know, um, deteriorate with like, you know, a, a physical illness that really took her. I started using the words, like, it's like an emotional cancer that goes through my body that nobody can see. And even when I'm in the hospital, there's no x-rays. There's no way to see what someone's going on, you know, what's going through me on the inside. But I do want to add, like, I know in the 12 steps, they say to share ESH. So it's experience, strength, and hope. So that's, there's a lot of my experience in this story, but my strength and hope that I want to share is that I can live a functional life, accepting that, yes, I'm Bashi and I've been diagnosed with bipolar and I've had depression, anxiety, you name it. But I also have, um, I also have a choice. And that's something I've learned in the 12 steps. Every single morning I have a choice and I'm powerless over my emotions. Like when I go to a meeting, I introduce myself, I'm powerless over my emotions. I'm also powerless over my thoughts, but I'm powerful over my actions and my attitude. And every day I make that choice to get out of bed and the most amazing meditation in my life has been my Da'ani. It's brilliant. I know it's the Rebbe's favorite tefillah too. And my Da'ani is just my dad. The first word is gratitude. And I've learned that gratitude is the opposite of anxiety. 
because anxiety is being in the future, right? And worrying. And the moment I start having gratitude and I keep, I think about it, I get, I become more present. I become more, you know, I start breathing better. I, I actually check in every morning with another member in, in the 12 steps and we both, another from woman, and we both share our victories and gratitudes to start the day. And it just sets, even if I'm feeling a little bit depressed, sad, whatever it is that Hashem gives to me and I don't choose it, I choose gratitude in my days. And I choose to, to also have power over my actions and what I say. And I can't control that I went to the hospital twice in my life. That was Hashem's will, but I could control what I do with it. Yes, that's so powerful. I'm like very moved by all of this. Very, very personally moved. Um, let me ask you a question. If you were to, if you could talk to high school girls, and I'm sure you as a teacher, you are. And like, if you were able to see yourself as a 12 year old in seventh grade, what would you share with that girl now that you feel could be helpful? So I think the, the, the two kindest words that I ever heard in my life, but I heard it when I was, I want to say when I was like in my twenties with, you know, as an adult was it's okay just those two words. And it's so powerful because like um, acceptance is serenity. If I accept something, even if I don't like it, but I'm, I'm calm because there's, I'm not fighting it anymore. So when I'm feeling depressed some days or I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that and I hear another friend say, Bashi, it's okay. So climb back into bed if you need a few, you know, a little bit more rest, just not, just that it's okay. And there's a lot of pressure I find from society growing up on being happy. I would yes. be stressed every Purim, Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah, happy Purim, but I'm not <laughs> feeling happy. You know, I, I, wow. and there was this stress and happiness seemed like you have to have a, a smile painted on your face all day. And then I learned in an emotional support group that there's tons of emotions that go through us in one day. And even as a from person, like Hashem created these emotions. So happiness is a result of being at peace with myself mm. and the only way I could be at peace with myself is if I accept what I'm going through and I speak with friends women and it's all about accepting what's going on and even accepting my weaknesses is super important and that's something I try to bring into my high school classes that piece of acceptance I bring in gratitude to my girls my older students start their start their day with gratitude and I tell them, you know, this helps me with my anxiety. I so I that. give them in tidbits, you know, a little like the, the, the truth about what I go through. But I think those two words, it's okay. And talking about it. I remember the only teachers I remember are the ones that spoke about, spoke about real stuff that we were going through. Yes. You know? Wow. And to a mother that is listening, any mothers that are listening now that are going through their own struggle with anxiety or depression and are feeling that pressure and feeling the desire to, I need to have more children. I also, I have to fulfill this. What would you say to them? I think it's that, again, the acceptance piece, like accepting that right now, I'm not ready to have a child. Like if my Rav, you know, like when I spoke to my Rav and, and my therapist and they said, no, the hardest thing is to accept. Yeah. And accepting doesn't mean that I'm just like apathetic and, you know, like, okay, you know, it means that I'm okay with not being okay. So when I, when I had to accept that I couldn't have more kids, it was accepting 
that this, but it was a sad acceptance. Like it's not necessarily like hopping and skipping, like, oh, I accept, you know, it comes with its feelings as well. Yeah. And, and reaching out, like there's so much support out there, you know, whether for teenagers or for, or for women at any age. If anybody would like to connect with you or reach out to you to discuss or look for, let's say, you know, some, somebody who wants to get more information on 12 steps or emotion anonymous that you mentioned, would you be willing to talk to them? Can, can they for reach sure. out to you? Yes. Okay. What would be the best way for them to reach out for you? Um, I think email would be a good way to start. Okay. What's your email? So B-A-S as in Sam, H-I-E dot H at gmail.com. Okay. So Bashi dot H at gmail.com. Yeah. And I'll put it as well, as well in, in the part about the description about this podcast as well. Okay. So tell me, is there any parting thoughts you'd like to share with us before you, um, before we end this podcast? Um, there's so many. <laughs> I know. I, I think like we're so lucky as you did to, to wake up to my Dani. Yes. And if I can just share a little thought on that, like my husband had shared with me once and it helps me. So it's when we say my Dani, it's my Dani instead of animo de, because really in Hebrew it would make more sense. I am grateful. But we really start before the I is gratitude. So, so grateful I am, Lifanecha, before you. You return my neshama to me with mercy. That means that even if I'm not deserving of another day or of getting my neshama back, because maybe I made mistakes yesterday or, so, you know, things went wrong. Hashem's giving it back to me out of mercy, out of kindness. And Rabba Emunasecha means you believe in me. So Hashem believes in me. So he's giving me the day today to just make the best that I can out of it. And again, I have a choice. That's powerful. So I choose, I choose positivity. I choose to wake up and to make the best of the day with my diagnosis, with what Hashem gave me, with all my weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, and I'm just humbled I have been able to share today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm so honored that you were willing to share. We need people to share more. I know Nishama's podcast has people sharing their stories. It takes a lot of courage. I want to thank you and your husband for um, kind of giving you the ability to do this and the willingness to, and both of you, your willingness to do this, because I know that many people listen and learn and they're inspired and it helps them on their own journey. There's not even a question about it. And may Hashem repay you with lots and lots of kindness, revealed good in a way so that the struggle is easier each and every day. Amazing. And I think those of us that are listening that don't struggle, I think for us to, to kind of reflect and say, there are people, everyone has different challenges. You know, everyone has, everyone that works, walks this earth has some struggle of some sort. That's for sure. And for us to look at people and say, well, maybe I don't struggle with this, but to be understanding and say, well, perhaps this person is going through something similar and I shouldn't judge and I shouldn't be critical and I shouldn't be nosy and say, Oh, she only has three kids. Why do you think she only has two kids? What's going on with her? Oh, stop the judgment and be more curious to say, maybe there's a person there and maybe I can, you know, be supportive to that person. Reach out to somebody who may be struggling, who's quiet, who's, who's introverted and kind of, you haven't seen them in a while. It's uncomfortable, but pick up the phone reach out to a classmate, a friend, a community person that, that you haven't seen in a while and that looks like they're not themselves, or even if they look like themselves, just be on the lookout and be aware 
and for all of us to really work hard on dropping the stigma. I think this is the most important thing to talk about this, to talk about with our children, to talk about, you know what? I interviewed a woman today or I heard a podcast today about this and this, and it's so interesting. And it was so fascinating. You know, we have to talk about things with our children, get them curious, not to make it such a taboo topic, but rather something that's in the world around us because it's quite possible that one of your siblings or one of your children or one of your friends is struggling with this exact, um, I don't wanna say diagnosis or this exact issue at hand or challenge I'd rather say. So um, again, thank you Bashi for your willingness and may Hashem repay you 10 times over. Amen, thank you so much.